Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. In this episode of the Coach HP Show, today we're going to get right into it. Cosmos Kindarius. What a great name, Cosmos. Number one, number two, great dude from Jamaica, came to the States. We talked about the guy's done, did a zillion jobs before he found out his passion, the film business. He's a director. He's a writer. We talked about one of the most important things I feel we talked about was how he brings his energy. How you can bring your energy to every space, every situation you go into. That's like what I say with controlling effort and attitude. It's right there. I love how he said, listen, I was doing big blockbuster movies. And then I pivoted. And then I started finding, creating opportunities during COVID. I, I got this, this show it's a reality show about contestants going from a lawnmower from country to country. They finished up here in the state of Florida and Tampa. Talked about that. Talked about how his role started being increased, increased while other people fell out. Other people didn't take the project so seriously, but he did. So now, without further delay, in this episode of the Coach HP Show, I give you... Cosmos Kindaris. Let's go. One. So don't worry. Three, two, one, boom, we're on. First thing I want to ask you, Cosmos. How do you get such a cool name, bro? Who came up with that name? <laughs> uh, my father did. Uh, I was uh, I was named after the universe. So, yeah, I definitely got lucky. Damn. That's deep because you're from an island. I'm from an island. I'm from an island that's, I think you're, I want to say, I don't think it's even 90 feet away from us. I'm from Cuba. Mm-hmm. You're, fr- you're from Jamaica. Not too many people in the film industry from Jamaica how was it growing up in Jamaica, man? How long were you there for? Well, I didn't grow up in Jamaica. I grew up in the U.S. And, okay. you know, my mother and I moved around a lot. So when I say a lot, the, the short version is she and I hitchhiked from Oakland, California to Maryland when I was two and a half. Damn. And it took us, took us over a year. So we just, we just moved around a lot. Um, and I just kind of was, was always on the go and, and kind of grew up a nomad, which I've been grateful for because coming into the film industry, you know, I'm used to being on the go. I'm used to being in a new place, you know, shooting in a new place. You know, I've had a chance to shoot in Cuba. I've had a chance to, you know, shoot in the Dominican Republic. And we're in Cuba, Cosmos. We're in Cuba. You know, we were on, we were on, uh, we were on a private beach on the West coast. Um, this guy owned a place and he brought us in on a pontoon plane and he has a a villa over there and we just kind of shot his place. So we didn't really go, you know, or, you know, much into the into the city. We just kind of stayed out of his place. Nice, nice. You know, you know how that goes, <laughs> bro. Listen, uh, getting in there, getting out. How long ago was this? Oh gosh, this was uh, ten years ago. Ten years ago. 15, okay, fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago. Fifteen years ago. Yeah. I I know Jamaica pretty well, bro, because I worked for a little bit for Sandals and Beaches Resorts. Okay. So they made us go over there for for they call them fam trips to get used to right. the island. Right. And they hadn't built that uh, that road from Montego Bay to Negro oh, yet. You went with the <laughs> so we went old school, man. We went, oh, man, it's rough. It it's was rough. it was it was rough. But there's a 
there's a lot of similarities, man, with the Jamaican people and the Cubans and our all island cultures, our know. friendliness and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't know that Jamaica has a lot of Spanish influence, has a lot mm. of British influence that you don't you don't really tell, man. When when you look at yourself now, are you proud of being Jamaican? Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. I tell everyone I'm Jamaican and Italian. It's the first thing, you know, I, I correct people when they make an, you know, an assumption. Oh, are you Puerto Rican? Oh, are you Dominican? Oh, where are you from? You know, I'm like, no, I'm Jamaican and Italian. Dude, how do you start? Okay, so you're hitchhiking with your mom. At okay. what age do you realize you're hitchhiking? Oh, not when we were. I mean, here's what's really funny. You know, growing up, I, I thought that people were born friends, meaning I walked into a classroom and I thought all the A's played with the A's and all the B's played with the B's and all the C's played with the C's. And I was a Z. Here I was. I didn't see any of the Z's in the room. And I was like, oh, apparently I don't have any friends. And it was because I didn't stay anywhere long enough to understand that you build friendships, you know, that you're around someone and then you find common interests and all that stuff. And again, it just kind of built me for the film industry where, you know, I walk onto a set and it's a hundred new people and I don't know any of them, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not able to be timid. I have to like walk in and understand and greet people and look them in the eyes and, you know, just have that energy uh, that it takes to run a set, you know, which has been huge on this show, you know, same kind of thing, just, you know, traveling for, for over 60 days, meeting new people from new regions with different cultures and different backgrounds and different ideologies on a near daily basis, you know, and having to interact with them and, and keep that energy, you know, keep that energy up. It's work, bro. That's almost more work than the other stuff, man. And, and it's funny because in society, we don't talk about that a lot. Oh, the, never. The listening, the getting along with people, the making friends, the how hard it is. We take, we take a lot of stuff for granted, bro. Mm -hmm. When, when did you start to think about the film industry? Not till I was 30. Really, oh, wow. Yeah. Really late. Really so, late. So let's go then. Let's go then. High school. Where'd you go to high school? I went to high school up in Folsom, California, uh, and I left high school early. I left high school my junior year. I just took my, my proficiency and got out because the structure wasn't for me and wanted to go to university and studied biochemistry and marine biology. Nice. And you know, writing was always a hobby and films were always something that I loved. You know, I loved watching movies. I would go to the movies. I would, you know, go to Blockbuster, go to Hollywood Video, go to all the mom and pop stores and rent movies and watch everything. Cosmo, but favorite he, movie of all time. What do you got? Your favorite movie. Do you have one? Uh, yeah, you know, there's a there's a short French film called The Red Balloon, which uh, just moves me. You know, every time I've seen it, I've seen it literally over 100 times. It still makes me cry. That's the one that the red balloon goes all over the town. And they, yeah, the little all, girl chases all, her, a little boy. A little or boy, yeah, a little boy. Yeah, the little boy makes friends with this balloon. And the little boy doesn't have any other friends other than the balloon. And no one wants he and the balloon to be together and they find a way to make it work. And then, you know, uh, I'm not going to ruin it for people, but it's, it's a moving, it's a moving piece. It's a short film, but it, I just in watching it, you learn the power of images and music, you know, cause there's so little dialogue and yet all the emotions are conveyed. It's so clear what's going on. And, and, and it just, it moved me. And so I've always loved films just, but again, just to watch, you know, and I've written, for most of my life, I was published for poetry and, you know, competed in speech and debate and just was always writing. But I never really knew that that was a career. You know, if I'd known, I'd, I'd have been in L.A., you know, a long time ago. I would have been, you know, 18 years old and trying to get into the film industry. But I just didn't know. And then uh, I had a professor who read something that I wrote and was like, wow, this is really good. You know, you should you should consider writing as a career, as something to do, which I, I didn't. You know, I thought photography, I thought, you know, photojournalism, something like that, because I knew I wanted to travel. I knew I wanted to go, you know, everywhere. I didn't want to have to wear the same thing every day. I didn't want to have to go to the same place every day. Not a nine to fiver, not a nine to fiver, exactly. bro. <laughs> I didn't want to be in an office, you know, but not that I didn't want to work, just I didn't want to feel tied down. I didn't want to feel, you know, stuck in a space, stuck in a place. And so I would explore, I would do whatever it took. And so, you know, by the time I was 25, I had 33 different jobs. Because I would take a job and be like, okay, cool, here we go. Nope, not for me. Quit. Let me let me find the next what one. What was the worst one of all those 33, bro? That you were like, this is horrible. What was the worst one? 
this is this an adult show? Can I? It's an adult show. This is okay, your fucking show. Go. Say whatever okay, the here, fuck you want, bro. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> the worst job I ever had. I win this contest every time. Nobody's ever had a worse job than me. I worked in a porn shop up in Santa Cruz, you know, and that's a cool job. You know what I mean? Whatever you sell, you sell sex toys, whatever. Right. But I didn't work behind the counter. My job was to clean the arcade. The cleaner? Oh, yeah, man. That's no, no, no. Wait, it gets better. It gets better. We had 12 booths. They were cleaned once a day. By you? I I got paid $10 an hour. How old were you? Uh, 20, 21. I was going to to university. I was paid $10 an hour, and I had one hour to do it in. And And when I first started the job, they gave me a sponge and a spray bottle and nothing else and go attack yep i went and bought gloves i went and bought a mop like i bought mop, yeah, I, spent, yeah. I spent more money than i made but you know what was funny was um i bought my lunch every day with that 10 bucks you know what i mean i was going from i worked at chevron like a graveyard shift i'd get off at 6 a.m i'd go to the porn shop i'd work for an hour clean all the booze and then i'd go to university you know and that 10 bucks i made in the middle right there bought me my lunch every day you know, and so it was the hustle. It's what you needed to do. That's what you got to do, man. And it was rough. It was rough. And, and, dude, I don't even, I could only imagine. <laughs> and it's hard because a lot of people don't understand. I moved this and I moved to, I'm the biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball by far, by far, by far. I get discovered by a casting director. And I'm going to relate this to your story. Mm. J Lo puts me on a TV show called South Beach here in Miami. And I go, you know what? I'm going to act. And I got in a car, and I, I was in a, a film, short film, that I got nominated in some film festival in Santa Monica. And I go, you know what? I'm going to act. So I got in a car, and I moved to Los Angeles in this 2006. reason why this relates to your story is because there was no social media back then. Right. So there, there was no internet. So And if there was, it wasn't like you couldn't go on YouTube. It wasn't what it is now. What yeah. it is today. So I slept in the Hollywood Hills for six months. I didn't know anybody. And I thought coming from Miami that Los Angeles would be sunny California. And mm. I froze my ass off, bro. Mm. Every night I froze. I would shower to shave at the Equinox though, there in West Hollywood on Sunset Plaza. But I, I saw that. And then a, a professor named Gary Austin, who created the Groundlings, mm-hmm. saved me. And ironically, he was wearing a Houston Astros retro baseball jacket. And he took me in. And that's how I started. I did that for six years, bro. Mm. But what I notice is what relates to your story is that everything prepares you for what you're doing now. And if more kids, man, more young adults can understand that. And you're still you're still super young where you're at in your career. You're not even there yet. And you started for, let's say, if we compare you to like a. Steven Spielberg, even look, uh, a guy who I used to give baseball lessons to, to Brett Ratner, your yeah. story is very similar to Brett. Mm. Brett's mom had him at 16. I used to train his little brother. His little brother. He had him at 16, left to New York because he wanted to, she would travel all over Europe with him, whatever, leaves to New York. He, I think he, he bypassed like his senior year of Miami Beach High to go to New York, to go to NYU. So it's just that hustle. Now he didn't know that in his same uh, in his dorm room he'd have Rick Rubin, right? Like, of course, five things away, and then he'd be right. friends Russell Simmons. Yeah, and yeah. Told, But it's the it's the motion of being in motion and doing constantly. That's huge, man. And the, the, it might be the stupidest thing in the world because, like, even let's say you are now with what you've accomplished, and I don't know, we'll get to this, but you might be like, bro, I got to do reality television, man. Oh mm-hmm. my God, or reality internet or whatever it is. Yeah. But what happens now is that didn't happen back then is now because everything can be something. It's like, cool, let's do it. Versus back then. Oh, no, no, no. If I don't want to be, I want to be like uh Scorsese and I want to be like Steven Spielberg. Like, all this crazy Please stuff, bro. Yeah. I'm only doing this, this kind of stuff, man. How do you look at that? As you came in, your first gig was as writer. Is that how you got into the film business? So yeah, so I was uh, I was a PA um, at a at a production company, did commercials and music videos, and in doing that, um, I had an opportunity to get hired, and I worked with David Fincher um, and Marcus Naspell and, and a lot of these people. But 
I had a really great opportunity to, to work with with David on Zodiac. And in doing so, I kind of got to know him and and see how he works. And he and I had some really good conversations. And ultimately, I ended up, I lost a bet to him. And because I lost that bet, I had to direct my first short film. Nice. And it was that first short film that got into 14 festivals around the world and was nominated for 10 awards and won eight of the 10 awards that I was like, no way, bro. Oh, wait, maybe I am good at this. David was right. You know, All right, let me ask you a question, Cosmos. While yeah. you were doing that film, yep. what made you get confident in yourself? That you're like, man, I'm doing good. Did it just flow naturally? Did you just connect with the piece? Like, what were you, what was your, what was well, your I wrote highlight? It. I wrote it. So that was easy. And, and the highlight was watching it with an audience and watching, knowing what I wanted to have happen when I was making it and then sitting in the theater, that first dark theater with an audience and hearing them laugh. What theater you know, was it? What theater did you go to? Do you remember? Yeah, it was at it was uh, it was in New York actually. It was the it was the Buffalo it was the Niag the Buffalo Niagara International Film Festival, nice. and I was I was the short film that opened before Simon Pegg's film Run Fat Boy Run, and so because of that, it was a packed house, you know. And there was press there. All these people they weren't there to see my movie. They were there to see Simon Pegg's movie, but they all got to see my movie first. Nice. And the fact that they talked about my movie, you know, there was some articles and stuff like. That was huge, you know, it was interesting to, to have that experience, have that moment. And I just kind of never looked back after that. Cosmos, once that happens, you get the buzz, you get all the stuff. Does, uh, what, what became the next step? Did an, did an agent come to you, a manager come to you? Like, how do you, did you have a plan, like a next step coming? What was the following movement? The following move was someone saw the film, liked the work that I did and asked me to come direct another short film for them. And so I did another film and the film did well, not as well, but it did well. And when I was on the festival circuit, I started meeting all these people who had jobs and meeting all these people who had agents and none of their films were as good as mine. You know, just truth. None of their films were as good as mine. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. They, Say it. <laughs> they, had, they had directed feature films and I had only directed shorts and they had jobs because they had done feature films. And I talked to some friends in the industry, some executives at, at different companies and they're like, yeah, we kind of gave up on short film directors as feature film directors because of some mistakes that have been made. So, you know, go out and make a feature film and then we'll talk, you know? And so I was like, okay, I guess I got to make a feature film. And that became the next hustle was how do I get enough money? How do I get the crew? How do I get the script? And after three false starts where people were like, yeah, yeah, we want to help you. And then when the time to, you know, pay the piper, they disappeared. I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a movie where if everyone says they're going to help me disappears, I can still make that movie. And that movie is called Stand. And it's about two American brothers that are stuck in the middle of the Vietnamese jungle standing on landmines. And it's this movie about two people standing in one place. Because I could have done that by myself if I needed to. If all the camera people went away, all the sound people, everybody went away, I could have figured out a way. And instead, I gathered a group of people around me. You know, there were... 11 languages spoken on set. You know, we shot in Taiwan and Vietnam. We had all these local people come out because they were excited and wanted to help. And it's really What was just, the budget of the film, Cosmos? Uh, the budget was $75,000. Yeah, pretty small, especially for being shot in two different countries. You know, it was pretty small. And you, you did know. the editing yourself and everything? No, we, we, we brought an editor in and, and they helped. I mean, we ended up having five, but, you know, eventually we got to an editor who was able to stick with us and because we didn't have a lot of money, you know, we didn't have the money to pay people what they wanted to, to be paid to stick around. And we found people passionate about it. Let me ask you a question because you said something there interesting. Expectations. Mm. The hardest thing to do, man, is manage expectations, especially when you're like, okay, finally, I got it. And then you get rejected or that somebody leaves. What would you tell yourself? to keep yourself going when these guys keep sell selling you out, man? I just tell myself what I've been saying, which is that's okay. You know what I mean? Like there's, see, I don't come from a place of scarcity. I know that there's always enough. And I know that if this person doesn't want to work with me or this thing didn't work out, then that wasn't for me. Right. You know, and I just move on to the next one. I think the biggest key, what I tell other people is when things don't work out, that's fine. You know, because things always work out in the end. And if they haven't worked out yet, then it's not the end. And what that means is you just kind of keep, like we said earlier, keep moving forward. You know, put one foot in front of the other. What's the next step? You know, I what's the that, next man. thing you can do? You know, that's what we've been doing on this show is 
every day we have challenges and it's like, cool, great. That's what happened yesterday, but what's the next step? What do we need to do now? You know? And so that's, and that's how I got here. You know, I had two feature films ready to go. You know, one was fully financed. The other was about 75% of the way there. I'm going to shoot one in Oklahoma, the other in New Mexico, you know, just getting ready to go. And then COVID happens. And, you know, the industries, all of them start shutting down in various ways and people don't know what to do and people are scared. And two days after, you know, the lockdown in L.A., I went to Arizona and shot a pilot. And then I got back to L.A. and the world hadn't opened up yet. So I went and got a courier job, you know, delivering paychecks and prescriptions for people who couldn't leave their homes. Hell yeah. And then left that and took this, you know, which was just the next opportunity. You know, you got to take the opportunities that are in front of you and what you do. And, and this job is definitely that is you make them what they are, you know, because I was hired as a camera person. You know, I was just hired as a camera person. My job is just to follow one of the teams. And then two days in, it shifted, you know, and I became the unit director and then the field producer. And then a week later, all of a sudden I'm directing the show. You know, and it changes. It's um, it's something you have to be ready for. You have to be able to kind of shift and adjust to what's coming at you, because you never know. No, it's it's fine, no problem. So, you know, two days in, uh, things started going south, and I, you know, was promoted to unit director. Nice. And then, then the next day, the field producer quit, so I was promoted to field producer. You know, and then the next week, the owner of the company comes to me and says, hey, I want you to direct this show. And it was my willingness to say yes, you know, my ability to take this opportunity in the first place that put me here, you know, as opposed to what you started off with, which is, well, I don't want to do reality TV. I don't want to do, I'm better than that. I'm Spielberg. Spielberg never did reality TV. Why do I have to do reality TV? You know, and I didn't think that way. I was like, cool, it's an opportunity. It's going to be an adventure. I'm going to see what comes at me. This is what the universe is putting in front of me right now. Let's see where it goes, you know, and now I'm 60, 60 episodes in as a director. So I've directed 60 episodes of television all of a sudden. Wow. I've produced 60 episodes of, of a show, you know, that's a lot more show. That's a lot more. Exactly. Yep. The great grass race, the great grass race. What, What is that airing on? So it's airing on menace vision, which is an app that you can get. And then it's also on the platform itself, which is menacevision.com. The owner of the company, his name is Dennis Oliver. He wanted to make it free for everyone to see. And so he put it on a platform that you didn't have to have a subscription to. There's an app. You can always access it. And it was a better way to go. And then, you know, with making a good show, you have an opportunity for, you know, other distribution to get picked up and be shown other places. And, you know, that's kind of what our hope for the next step is. And, you know, we have other shows that we're developing and, you know, but that's where it all stems from is, you know, just sticking your neck out there and, and giving people an opportunity to see what you're doing. Cosmos, and this show is anybody like, have you caught anybody cheating, like illegally souping up their machine or anything like that, man? Have you seen any? Well, they're, they're allowed to soup up their machine. So we've got a lot of that. You know, I think the biggest thing with cheating. So some of the special rules on the show was they're not allowed to spend any money. And that's really hard. You know, you've got to depend on everybody. And there have been some times when, you know, people are hungry and no one's being generous. And so some people have, you know, bought some food or, you know, bought some energy drinks. And there's been a couple of times when people couldn't find a place to sleep and it was cold and they didn't want to sleep outside again. And so they, you know, got a hotel room donated by their family or something like that. What do you do when that happens? Do you put them in timeout? Are they disqualified? What's going on? No, they don't get disqualified, but what it is is, you know, we have a cumulative time for the whole show and we have points for the whole show. And the points amount to the amount of money you're possible to win. And then the time amounts to who wins because there's head start moments and stuff. And so that's actually where we're at right now, where the racers have kind of crossed the finish line and not now we're tabulating all the bonus points, you know, all the penalties, all those different things, so that on Wednesday when we have our finale. We're going to say, look, this is the first team to cross the finish line. This is the fifth team to cross the finish line. But the fifth team has all these bonus points. They did all these things right. 
You know, they all do, they do all these good things. So now they're jumped up. Now they're the third place team all of a sudden. So there's a lot that can still happen and, and people have to tune in to kind of figure it out. How do you feel with, with this whole experience, man? What have you learned from this national grass race? What, what have you learned? You know, I'm, I'm honored. Like we live in a beautiful country and, you know, right now, especially it's election time, so many people are complaining about how everybody does everything wrong and, you know, there's problems in, in, in every facet of community if you watch the news. And I will tell you that following these contestants across this country, these five teams, you know, every single city, every community we went to opened up its arms to us. It gave us food. It gave us shelter. You know, gave us gasoline to get to the next stop. There were so many kindnesses. Cosmos, that's important. Why do you think that is? Is that because you're a kind dude yourself and kindness brings kindness? Why do you think that was? I think it's because there are more good people in the world than there aren't. You know, because these a lot of these people, they didn't meet me. They didn't know me. They didn't know the contestants. There was a woman who was sitting at home and her husband came home and said, I just saw these people and they're driving across the country on lawnmowers. And she'd been in a wheelchair for 10 years. And she said, what? We got, we got to feed them. You got to get me up. And she got up and she made a large pot of chicken noodle soup and then made her husband load it up and load her up. And they drove out on the road and found us. And they served us on the side of the road just because she knew that there were people outside in the rain and it was cold. Wow. You know, it, was, it was about the people. It wasn't about us. You know, we just, fortunately for us, we were there to document it. We were there to capture all this goodness Are you on a lawnmower yourself? No. So the camera follows, the camera teams follow the racers in RVs so that we can kind of be with them wherever they are. And so we're driving, we have five teams, we have seven RVs because we have an editing RV plus the camera team RVs and we're always kind of with them. And so we just kind of capture what they have going on, you know, and they're, they're not allowed to use us. They're not allowed to come into the RV. They're not allowed to do any of those things. We're kind of there for safety. Like if we have to tow them out of a dangerous area, the RV is capable of kind of getting them loaded up and getting them out. But they were on their own. Cosmos, you said something interesting there, man. And is, I don't think we, I think with positivity, mm. we've made it very vanilla, like mm -hmm. corny. Sure, sure. Dude, it's been pouring here in uh, in Miami like no crazy. So I don't know if it's the yeah. rain or anything like that. No, I, I, you, were, you were saying that positivity has become very vanilla. Very vanilla, very unsexy, and with everything that's happening in the country now and everything's excuses and let's blame this person, let's blame that person. There is no uniting. There is no ownership of problems, whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I like what you said, and I like that you're highlighting the kindness of people of all walks of life because it's not always... Cubans to Cubans, Jamaicans to Jamaicans, white people to white people, black people to black people. It's just everybody, man. We and that's a, something have, you brought up that I like a lot. Yeah, we have a girl on the show. You know, she's in her 40s. She's a single mom, three women, you know, college graduate, went to Rutgers, all this stuff, right? Black woman from Jersey. And she was like, oh, I'm not racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. She came out here and has been helped time and time and time again by old white people and every time she's just like wow i really was racist because she didn't expect these people to help her yeah you know men and women you know of of all ages just opening their hearts and kindness because you know we're a diverse group you know we have we have men and women we have old and young we have you know different races and it's like they're just helping us because we're human beings in need you know we're not from the same state You know, we went through, you know, some of the, the Aboriginal country through, you know, New Mexico and stuff, through Taos. We're not of their tribe. They helped us because we're humans in need. You know what I mean? Because they're good people because they cared. You know, it wasn't about it wasn't about getting famous for them. You know, half of half of the people that helped us didn't want to be on camera. They're like, no, no, I don't want to be on camera. I just wanted to help. I just want to support. It's just, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. I uh, I got asked because of my position. I have a large sports following, a mm -hmm. lot of uh, parents and kids and stuff like that. So when the athletes started protesting, the basketball players, some mm -hmm. baseball teams did, but when the basketball players did, a lot of people reached out to me to get my opinion. And 
my opinion was, and I'm lucky, I, I'm one of the few people I don't work for anybody. Right. So I can, I don't have to like, oh, what about this person? I'm super honest, man. And being Cuban, you're lucky because I'm a minority. So I don't have that thing, but I'm always honest. And I said two things. I go, listen, number one, I want to get your point on this. Yeah. Any kind of peaceful protest, we have to glorify. That's number one. So mm -hmm. let's start off with that. The fact that the athletes were protesting peacefully, however they did it, that to me is amazing. Number two, when addressing, and this is what I said, when addressing the police situation, there's two things we have to fix. Number one, policemen can't kill people when, a, when that's not the situation. You can't kill people for offenses that, dumb, that aren't life-dangering. Mm -hmm. And we got to stop committing crime. Those are two things. If we can stop committing crime. And the officers, that, wait a minute, Coach HP did something wrong. Instead of putting a bullet in my head or whatever, learn how to apprehend me, put me down, calm the situation versus escalate. This whole thing is going to get right there. That was my opinion. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? I agree, except there's two parts of that. I think the first thing we have to do is we have to accept that people are human. And we have to, you know, you were talking about expectations earlier. We have to lower our expectations. Just because someone's a professional athlete doesn't mean they're better than anybody. It means they have a different job. Okay. So the fact that they have a voice that they can air and more people are going to hear them. At the end of the day, though, it is still a person voicing their opinion. And that's one of the things we cherish. I want to be able to voice my opinion, whatever that is. I want the freedom to say how I feel, what's going on and what's affecting me. If I want that, I need to give that to other people as well. So I think that for as long as we want to express our opinion that we're not happy with a protest, we have to accept and honor their reason and their right to protest, whichever side we fall down on. You know, what if it was something else? What if it was something that mattered to you that you wanted to protest about? Would you want someone to shut you up? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then don't shut someone else up. And then as far as the police situation, that's actually kind of line in the in the same way for me. You know, I'm a person of color. You know, I've been I've had all the experiences. I was a skater as a kid, you know, I've been pulled over for no reason. I've had all the experiences. But I will also tell you that in my life I have had so many positive experiences as well. And I know that a lot of that starts with me and it starts with the energy that I take into a moment. I love you said that, man. That's huge. That's huge. You know, because because Again, these people are, are human. You know, yes, they're police officers. Yes, they have special training, but they are still human. They still have fears. They still don't know what they're going to face. They still have families they want to go home to, or, you know, they want to wake up the next day. And if your energy is up, it puts their energy up. You know what I mean? And so it's like, whatever your situation is, come into it with an open heart and an open mind, whoever you're dealing with. And you will find there's a better outcome. It's the easiest way to de-escalate stuff. And that's something that the police can do safely. Because they can go into a situation with an open mind. As opposed to walking in thinking, this person's going to attack me. They can say, okay, I've got to talk to this person. Here we go. And then when you're being approached by police, they're not there to kill you. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're pulling you over because you were speeding. Or you're driving the same car as something else that happened. You know, I always laugh, like, you know, we're driving down the freeway. This happens everywhere. This is universal. You're driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden you see a cop, and you slow down, and you start staring at them. I guarantee you they weren't looking at you. You know, they didn't, they didn't know. Right, 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 right. Your energy of, like, staring at them, and you keep checking your mirror, and they see you look at them, and all of a sudden they're looking at you. Because, like, yeah. wait, why is that, why is that <laughs> person acting <laughs> Or you start acting <laughs> weird, and you start why, moving. Why, why is that person acting weird? What's going on? Like, I wasn't noticing them, but wait a minute. Maybe I should be. Maybe I should. Cosmos, why do you think people don't want to show ID to the police? I don't understand that. Why is that? It comes from fear, you know? And, and unfortunately, that fear comes from a lack of education. Right. You know? And, and I'm not insulting any particular group of people, any state, any anything. This is just a general thing. I, I believe that, you know, I believe that 
our, our phones can be listened to. I believe our internet searches can be followed. Right. If you have a problem with someone knowing what you're looking at on the internet, then you should stop looking at it exactly. because you're not comfortable with it. Okay. If you're doing something and you don't want someone to know who you are and what you're doing, you should probably stop. You know, we would, I just had this conversation with one of our contestants the other day because we have people who comment on our show on Facebook, you know, but, and someone said, Oh, this person said this. And I said, yeah, but that's not a real person. You know, I don't know who they are. They've set up a fake account with a fake name, with a fake picture to hide behind the anonymity so they can say whatever they want and have no repercussions. And I think that that's a large part of it is that, you know, cops have their name on their badge. They have their badge number and they have their name right there. You can ask them for their badge number. They will give it to you. They have to tell you their name. There's no reason that you shouldn't tell them yours unless you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And when your name comes up, it's going to be a problem. Cosmo, who, who, who taught you that? Was that your mom? Who taught, or you just I, figured that out, man? I figured it out, you know, because like I said, I, I mean, look, you know, I've, I've, I've been pulled over. You know, I got, I got pulled over when I was 16. I drove a 1964 Chevy Impala, dark blue, tinted windows, you know, loved that car. And I got pulled over, you know, and my, my friend in the passenger seat's a big, you know, 6'8 black guy with an afro. He was a boxer, so he's a real big guy. I'm, I'm not that big. I'm 6'1", whatever. And the cops pulled us out. They put us in the backseat of their car. And the front window was rolled down. And like three other cars showed up. And they're all walking around my car. And I'm not worried because I don't have anything in the car that I shouldn't have in the car. And I wasn't doing anything I shouldn't be doing. And they started looking around the car and we're in there for a while. And I hear them, they're checking out the car. The guy was like, oh man, look at this. And oh man, look at that. But it was my energy and my attitude of like not giving them a hard time, you know, not freaking out, not acting a particular way that didn't allow the situation to escalate. It doesn't mean that what they did was right. You know what I mean? But they they pulled over a car and then they wanted to look at the car while they had had it pulled over. Right, right, right. right. I mean, that's that's human curiosity, you know. And it took me an, what an extra twenty minutes that night. Whereas, I take an attitude with them. I start raising my voice. I start, you know, what are you doing? Are you treating me this way? So, on. what is that? How does that serve us? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I love that, it, man. That, and that's what I'm just saying. Like, it's just it's the energy that we take into everything. You know, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've been to over 155 countries and I've been to terrible, terrible places where terrible, terrible things happen. And as challenging as things can be in this country, they're exponentially better than they are in so many other places. And I feel like a lot of the people who are raising their voices the loudest, talking about how horrible it is, haven't been anywhere else. And they haven't seen what horrible really looks like. And it's that lack of perspective. It's that lack of understanding. And that's why I say it's a lack of education that prevents us from navigating these challenging times. Better. I think we need Cosmos for mayor, at least. Of our... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to be honest, that's why, that's why I'm a filmmaker. I'm a filmmaker because when I become successful and I have films that everyone goes and sees, I'll have an opportunity to continue to put the things that I believe into my films and not, not to preach. Nobody wants to go to watch a movie and have their finger wagged at them. But again, I'll use, you know, I wrote a film called Comienzo, which is Spanish for new beginnings. And yes, I wrote it, it back, wrote it back in 2007. And wow. it was a movie about undocumented immigrants being shot for sport as they come across the Arizona, Mexico border. And I heard a rumor that something like that was happening. And so I drove to Arizona and I went down and I looked and I walked around. I walked, I talked to the border patrol. I went to Agua Prieta, which is the city on the other side of the border. And I talked to the people who live there. I actually crossed the border illegally. I left my passport and my license in my hotel in Arizona. Wow. I walked into Mexico and then I figured out how to get back. Like I wanted to go through all of it. And, and the film doesn't blame anyone. You know, it does address the wall because the wall was there in 2007. You know, the wall that we're supposedly going to build now, it's, it's been there. 
It's been there for, for 15 years, maybe longer. And the wall works in ways people don't understand. The wall is not the problem. The conversation about it the is conversation. the conversation. You know, it's the conversation. Because I was there. There were these guys, these three guys were digging. They were trying to get under the wall to get into Arizona. And I, I was with my camera and stuff. And I, I started digging with them. And I was like, oh, we're going to get to the other side. Okay, let's dig. And I knew we weren't getting anywhere because I had been on the wall, on the other side of the wall the day before. And where they were digging, there was a 20 foot by 30 foot by 10 foot concrete block that went all the way down into the ground. I knew exactly where they were. And I asked him, I said, how come you don't go further east or further west? You asked him in English or Spanish? In English. One of them translated for me. And what he said was, this wall goes all the way from ocean to ocean. It was just the idea of the wall. Because it didn't. It didn't. If they'd walked a quarter mile to the west, they could have walked right through without anybody seeing them. Cosmos, did you help them at all? Like, did you explain that after? Or were you just like, no, I'm going to oh, dig, I'm going to oh, record, and good oh, luck, guys? Exactly. Because, because again, like, to me, individual responsibility. It's like, wh what they want to do with their life is what they want to do with their life. I like I'm it. not there to hurt them, but I'm also not there to help them. I'm there to, to capture the information and see, see what's real. But the movie that I wrote, when we make it, you know, because we haven't made it yet. When I first made it, people said... It's sensationalistic. Nothing like this would ever happen. And then when I tried to make it, it was, um, oh, we don't want a movie with a Latina star because because the the main character is is a mulatto. He's a he's a Mexican American who doesn't love what's Mexican about himself. He tries to hide it. You know, he tries to hide. He tries to go by a white name instead of his Latin name. He just he does all those things. And we all know those people who are kind of a hell yeah ashamed of are. So he tries to hide it, and he gets down there, and he sees the border situation from a different side because. What ends up happening is he gets kidnapped and left for dead in Mexico by the people who do the shooting. And while he's there, he's rescued by an American named El Coyote, who has set up an underground railroad from Mexico to the U.S. to get people across safely. And the main character's name is Miguel, but he goes by Mike. But Miguel sees immigration from the other side, and he becomes a coyote. And he starts crossing people because he sees that not everybody's coming over to do something wrong. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, the movie doesn't say that one side is right and the other side is wrong. The movie presents information. And my hope is that when people leave that theater, when, when they leave, when they watch a show that I've done, when they watch a film that I've done, I want to start a dialogue. I want them to turn to their friend and say, was that real? I, I got to go look that up. Is that really happening? Like, is that going on in the world? And then they want to get involved. And they want to get involved because they believe that, that there's a reason to get involved. And then it wasn't I told them what to do and I wagged my finger at them or I'm, I'm better than them. It's just I put out a piece of entertainment that happened to educate them. And in doing so, my hope is to elevate the consciousness of the world. Cosmos, I love that, dude. Let me ask you a question, man. You're a guy that – a couple more questions. You're a guy that <laughs> does this for, for a living, man. Now you get – interviewed a lot and asked a lot of questions what makes a good interview in your opinion man because i'm sure you must get some space cadets here like bro what am i doing here man this was horrible you know i think a good interview is when there's an honest dialogue about what needs to be discussed you know and some interviews just aren't about that that's not what they're for some interviews are about let's get some information and let's share it they're about what where when why okay cool we're done and, and that's okay, you know, because sometimes you just want to know what time the movie starts, you know, and you'll find out what it's about later. I think that what's been great about this interview is that, you know, you and I are kind of talking about what's real. And, you know, what I know in my life is that I am a representation of what I believe. On camera, off camera, I'm, I'm who and what I believe in. And so if someone watches your, this interview, they watch your show, they hear this, they see this, I'm like, wow, that guy's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm curious what that guy does. They're going to come check out my show. They're going to watch it because they're going to be like, what's this guy doing? What's this guy putting out there? You know, does, his, does what he say he believes in really translate in his work? Nice. And so you've created an avenue for people to get to know me as a filmmaker, which I appreciate. And now they can say, wow, I, I think I like what that guy stands for. Or they can be like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not down with that. I don't know who that guy is, but I don't want to see anything he does. But then they know. 
you know, and I think that's what makes a good interview is, is like I said, letting people know what they're getting into, you know, what they're learning about, who they're talking to, who they're, who they're following on Instagram, you know, as opposed to just follow them because they got the blue check mark. A blue check mark, buddy. How do you view social media, man? How do you use it? Do you use it at all? Do you feel like you should use it more? Because usually so, film people and social are a little bit. Yeah. So me as a human being, me having, having nothing to do with film, I'm, I have a tough time with social media, you know, because I believe in human connection. And while I know that social media is an incredible way to connect and keep in touch with people, it is equally as powerful at disconnecting and staying separate of people. So I first joined Instagram in 2014 and I had an Instagram, uh, it wasn't my name. It was just another name. Mm -hmm. And I have over 20, I think I have over 2,200 posts and I have less than a hundred followers because, and I, and I have no photos of me on that page because I travel a lot and I see cool things and I take photos where I go and people would say, hey, Cosmos, where'd you go? Or what, what did you see? You know, and it's hard to send all the photos to all the people so I can send the people to one place to look at the photos. And so that's what Instagram was for me. When I started to elevate my profile as a filmmaker, it, it, it's important to be able to connect with audience members and stuff like that. So I started, you know, see Kendarius, which is my Instagram that I use now so that people can find me and they can see what I'm doing and, and they can ask me a question and I can answer them. I think that the danger of social media is when we expect people to know what's going on in our lives because of our social media. You know, okay. when, when it's like, Oh, I had a new baby. Oh, I didn't even know you were pregnant. Oh, what not? Why we, we put it on social media. That's horrible. Like I don't, I don't look at your social media to keep, if there's something important happening in your life and you want me to know about it, you better call me. You better let me I know. <laughs> I hope that you'll tell me. Because the important things going on in my life, the important people in my life know, because I've reached out and I've said, hey, I have something to share with you. You know, do you have time to get dinner? Do you have time to talk on the phone? You know, and it's that connection that we start to lose when we solely, you know, rely on social media. So I just think it's, it's like, it's moderation. It's great. Use it. It's a wonderful way to connect with people that you've lost touch with. But once you connect, like, if you want to stay connected, then make the human effort of staying connected. Cosmos, I'm going to give you the human connection right now, dude. Okay. I'm having a baby tomorrow at 830 in the morning. So Congratulations. Now you know, Congratulations. We're having our, we have a girl already, Penelope, okay. who turns two this year. We call her Gordy. Okay. Gordy's like chubby in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we're having cruise tomorrow at 830 in the morning. Schedule C-section, brother. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. So we I said it verbally, so you'd have to see it on my socials. See that? Right, man? right. And I but that's you know what I mean? And but I feel so much more connected to that event, you know, because I'm I'm on the I'm on the East Coast with you. At 8 30 when I wake up tomorrow, I'm gonna remember. I'm gonna be like, oh man, his baby's happening right now. And I'm gonna be like, oh, you know what? I'm gonna reach out. I'm gonna send a message. Hey, everything go okay? How big? All that stuff. Oh man, congratulations. That's wonderful. Whereas, you know, if, if you just put on your social media, it's just one more thing I'm scrolling past because I have no connection to it. That's a good point, dude. That's a good point, man. Favorite type of music, Cosmos? Oh, that's a tough question. That's an impossible question. If you, if you put my iTunes on, on shuffle, the first 10 songs, you'll get 11 different genres. Give me the first three songs. First, first three, three songs. songs. I love Ozuna's new album, actually. I gotta, okay. I gotta say, Ozuna had an album drop. And I met Ozuna in the DR, you know, seven years ago before anybody knew who he was. And he was someone I was like, man, I wish I could buy stock in an artist. Yeah. He's amazing. You know what I mean? Uh, there's, a, there's a group called Sun. It's S-O-H-N. And they've got an album called Wheels. And I can put that album on and it just plays nonstop like just over and over i don't even remember hours ago by probably listening to the album four times in a row and i don't even remember because just from song to song it just kind of moves you and then um you know there's a lot of there's a lot of really good like hip-hop that's still kind of getting made i mean sometimes i go to some of the classics like um there's a great album called by slum village fantastic volume two another kind of thing it's like jay dilla and and you know 
Q-Tip and a Tribe Called Quest and kind of that energy, that vibe, comments on that album. That's that's not what I always go back to. You know, and I got I gotta throw a bonus album in there. You know, the album that's been on my mind lately has been um The Dead Weather, which is uh, one of the Jack White projects. Um, it's just like a really good soulful like blues rock that just uh it's like that Jimmy feel, you know, that that old school Hendrix vibe that you just don't get anymore. Dude, I love it. I love it. Cosmos, before we let you go, man, any question for me, man? Anything I can help you with? Yeah, man. How can I support you? Like, what you, what do you have going on in your life right now? I mean, you got this going on. Like, what's what's uh, what are you trying to create in this new COVID era that we're in? Listen, you know, what do you, I uh, I don't want to cut you off. There. What were you gonna say? Sorry, you got me. I was just saying, what do you? I said, what do you? What do you? What do you need? Like, what can a filmmaker do for you? Only thing you could do for me, man, is execute on your dreams. Make yourself happy. That's what I care about. I'm a guy that what I what I want is for people to be happy. Mm. And whatever I can do to make people happy, to to bring awareness to causes, to bring awareness to things, I'm all, I'm all for that, man. I I started this podcast uh, almost just like you. I had two of my biggest meetings that I had in my life canceled, altered mm. because of Corona. Had a pregnant wife during all of Corona. Mm. Two grandparents, her grandparents, that one of them passed away three days ago, who they, the grandma who raised her. Yeah. And I'm a mindset guy. Two things you can control in this world, no matter what you look like, is effort and attitude. Yep. You got those two under control, you're going to live a happy life, man. So oh, yeah. so that's it, man. That's that's what I'm about. So that's how you can support. Any help I can be, how you can support me is letting me know how I can help you. Letting me know how I can help you rise to the top. And, and you could count on me anytime you want to drop something new, anytime okay. you want to check in, anything. We have a we have a pretty good size following on this show. We'll, we'll we'll get the people behind your project, your whatever. I don't care what I don't care if you do a play at an elementary school or if you do <laughs> Iron Man fifty four, buddy. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, you got a you got a new brother, man. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you today. You stay safe down there in Miami. Likewise, dude, I'm going to I'm gonna tag you. What do you want the people to go? Say it now so they could follow it. Hit them with at, it. At C. Kandarius on Instagram and Menace Vision on Instagram and MenaceVision.com to watch the great grass race. I love it. I love it. I'm at Coach HP on all social handles. So if I don't get, I'm going to follow I'll you now. No, and you reach out, shoot, shoot, shoot me a DM at Coach HP. Cosmos has been a pleasure, dude. I wish you Godspeed success, man. Thank I you, hope man. you're back in the studio crushing it on the, the film that you want. We're going to look for, oh, what was the Spanish name of the movie again with the coyotes? Comienzo. Comienzos, comienzos with Cosmos Kindarios. My brother, thank you so much, man. Have a good Sunday, okay? Thank you, you too. Be well. Okay. Good luck tomorrow morning. Thank you, thank you. Boom, there it is. Thank you so much for listening to the whole episode. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for being a part of the Coach HP Show family. Remember, at the end of the day, to go hard and do your thing. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.